Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Fearscape Media Network. Exploring the unknown. One podcast at a time. Hey everyone, Josh here from Fearscape Paranormal Podcast. Have you been to our website, fearscapepodcast.com? There you can check out our store with all of our awesome t-shirts, check out guests that have been on the show, listen to the podcast directly on the website, even donate and help us bring you awesome content. Please consider supporting us, fearscapepodcast.com. Hey everybody, Stefan here. Wanted to let you know that this episode is sponsored by the great folks over at Box Mountain. Box Mountain is a subscription box service that has my favorite subscription box yet, the Cryptid Crate. Josh got one of these for his birthday this year, and let me tell you, I was super jealous. It was packed full of merchandise pertaining to cryptids. The box he got was all about the Flatwoods monster, and it had this t-shirt, a book, a patch, a mug, and some awesome stickers. And let me tell you, it was well worth the value. These make an excellent Christmas gift that keeps on giving all year. If you use coupon code FEARSCAPE, you get 25% off the first month for any new subscription or 10% off on an individual purchase. So head over now to FEARSCAPEPODCAST.COM slash CRYPTIDCRATE to get yours. Hello, I'm so glad you could join us. I hope you brought your blanket to hide under. The spooky crew is going to discuss things and events from other realms. Ghosts, cryptids, aliens. Be sure to hold your blanket extra tight as the boys take you deep. Into the fear scale, fear scale, fear scale. <laughs> Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another Space Age t- Tiny Wimey Wibbly Wobbly episode of Fearscape Paranormal Podcast. I am your host, Stefan Gearhart, and I am joined as always by the uh, vivacious and just thought provoking co-host of mine and cohort mr josh rutledge how y'all doing um you know i i really appreciate the thought provoking ad in there at the end because i feel like i do especially our little group that we keep going on in facebook messenger me you and santosh mm-hmm. i feel like i push the limits of uh of our expectations you do but the thought provoking i was talking about was trying to figure out what the hell you are to be honest with you oh okay well, I think I'm. <laughs> I'm just I think kidding. I'm like. I think I'm like half man, half goat, 
half werewolf, half vampire, you half, know, half brain. Right, yeah. Your brain like is the, sexy. I'm like the guy from from Ninja Turtles, the brain that was like You're in that talking about stomach. Krang? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great, that makes me the robot that he sits in. <laughs> I feel like somebody needs to do some sort of a cartoon depiction of that. Oh yeah, and Santosh is totally Shredder. So <laughs> <laughs> so, so totally Shredder. We're done. We're done yeah. with that. Um so we've got a very, very interesting show tonight. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We have a uh, really fantastic guest going to be uh, joining us tonight. Uh, his name is Jim Schmidt, and uh, he's written a book called The Way of Existence. Um, it is a very, very interesting sci-fi type book, though this, according to him, is a true story, uh, memories that he had. And we'll get into that a little bit right before we introduce him. Uh, we'll read his introduction to you and just kind of get you to know about him. But we want to talk to him because, you know, these are some yeah. interesting memories. The book is exciting and yes. uh, we have a lot of questions. So make sure For to sure. stick around after the break so that you can hear that interview with Jim Schmidt. Uh, so but let's get cracking. You ready to get cracking, Josh? I'm ready to get cracking. All right. Well, Crack-a-lacking. as always, then our first segment is the psychic word of the week. And now. Psychic word of the week. All right, psychic word of the week comes from the Encyclopedic Psychic Dictionary from June G. Bletzer, PhD. Rest in peace, honey bunches of oats. I miss you already, and I never knew you. Um, so I flipped through, landed on the letter S, and um, where the 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 phrase that stuck out to me immediately was scarab beetle amulet. Okay. Bet you can't guess what that is. Is it like the things then in the mummy? It's the, an amulet that's the, a scarab beetle. <laughs> Thanks, June Bletzer. No, let's see what it says here. <laughs> says a preserved real beetle or a replica of a beetle made from a gem used to bring psychic information, guidance, and insurance of eternal life to the owner. Handmade scarab beetle is cut in the shape of a beetle, flat underneath with inscribed hieroglyphics, top side made convex and designed to look like a beetle. The shape, Egyptian thought form and inscription give it psychic properties. So, you know, and of course, a scarab beetle is a sacred insect of the Egyptians. They were... um, uh, name for the beetle um, that uh, the Kepri, which was a sun god, and brought life into existence without the female in a 28 day cycle. So uh, scarabs are all over Egypt, all over oh, yeah. Egypt. I just you know the movie The Mummy with Brendan Fraser. Mm-hmm. The the not so the not not the greatest the mummy uh, movies, but but still pretty good. Oh, it's the but best, you, dude! What are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about? The best. I love it's, the Brendan Fraser movies. Oh, man. I love it too, but it's not not the best mummy movie. I think it is one of not the. Anyways, we can we can agree to disagree because I know you love that term. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah! Oh, it's my favorite, dude. I'm but already anyways. telling you, I'm nervous because. Uh, Phoenix gets sandstorms like that where it is a big wave. I've seen pictures and stuff like that. My brother says it happens two, three times a year. And he said, it's just like the movie, The Mummy. He said he's always looking for the face like in the sand. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> great. Yeah. Well, especially <laughs> what's that? What's that condition where people see familiar things like in clouds? And stuff oh, like that? yeah, I know. I don't remember what it's called. Yeah. But yeah, they but say that that's why you're able to see faces in cars yeah. and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. 
But anyways, the other thing I was going to say is one of my favorite characters in the DC universe is Blue Beetle. Blue Beetle, man. All of them. I've liked all three Blue Beetles. The newest one, Jaime, is really cool because he actually has powers. <laughs> Ted Kord's probably the most famous. But uh, what's interesting is that the first Blue Beetle, I can't remember his name, he kind of had power and it kind of gave him strength. But when Ted got it, he didn't get it because you find out when Jaime gets it after spoiler alert ted gets killed by max lord um that uh that it's picky about who it chooses and mm. so like when it finds jaime it gives him like this full range of powers that the right. first uh dude didn't even get and poor ted never got any powers he was basically like a weak batman um <laughs> yep but a beetle so he just crawled right. around everywhere but no ted right. cord was awesome he was real smart um, but yeah, I love Blue Beetle. Blue Beetle is one of my favorite, favorite characters. Like I said, all three. I am I love all three of them. So, so we've talked about the Beetle um, uh, amulet and now talked about three different things with the thing Beetle in it. Uh, can we tie it all together? Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, uh, Beetlejuice. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, good. But good. Uh, I don't really have. I'm out. The whole thought of our amulets and stuff like that is just interesting to me. You know? Well, yeah, I mean, it, to me, it, it's a lot like any type of magical item, a voodoo thing or like a grigri bag or anything like that. Um, it's just something, anything can be made potent magically if you put enough intent into it, in yeah. my opinion. I mean, sure, why not? I mean, there with Reiki, you can create a Reiki box where you can store energy to be used later. So why couldn't you store some sort of god energy or or sacred energy into a beetle amulet and uh you know with back then with everyone looking at scarab beetles as this religious thing it would then already give it that power if you think about mm. it so it's like the cross you know <laughs> before yeah. jesus it was like a gun people were like this is horrible this is all this is is death and now people see salvation and light and i'm like no it's still a torture device that people wear around their necks right <laughs> so. exactly but it's all about what you put into it. What right? you put into it. Yep. What you put into it. So, uh, but thank you, June G. Bletzer. Um, hope you're hanging out with the scarabs. That's awkward. So let's go ahead and move right into spooky news. All right. So uh, for spooky news, I actually have two stories for you. I got a shorty and a longy. All right. So I'm going to give you the shorty no, first. Okay. Is that like an Indian and an Audi? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. I got the short one I'm going to give you first uh, because it is hilarious. And uh, Lance and I actually talked about it on Misters of the Dark and made it a part of our upcoming episode because it's so ridiculous. Um, but it's true. This comes from CNN.com. And the headline reads, Japanese town deploys monster wolf robots to deter wild bears. Yes, sir. Uh, a Japanese town has deployed robot wolves to scare off bears that have become an increasingly dangerous nuisance in the countryside. The town of Taikikawa on the northern island of Hokkaido purchased and installed a pair of the robots after bears were found roaming neighborhoods in September. City officials said that there have been no bear encounters since. Bear sightings have been at a five-year high, mostly in these rural areas in western and northern Japan. The robot called Monster Wolf 
consists of a shaggy body on four legs, a blonde mane, and a fierce set of glowing red eyes. When its motion detectors are activated, it moves its head, flashes lights, and emits 60 different sounds ranging from wolfish howling to machinery noises. This was created by Ota Psyche, and he sold 70 robots since 2008. Uh, The real Japanese wolf roamed the central and northern islands of the country before being hunted to extinction more than a century ago, I'm sure by white people. Uh, Taikikawa city officials said that the bears become more active and dangerous as they search for food before going into hibernation in late November. So, yeah, this I mean, this is crazy. Like people, you need to look up Japanese monster wolf robots and see the picture. of. (laughs) I mean, it looks like like a werewolf, man. Does it look like the uh, the I don't know what they're called, but the wolf from Game of Thrones? No, not at all. This no. looks like a Halloween okay. werewolf. Like, oh, okay, okay, exactly what this looks like. It's it's crazy looking, man. It's hilarious. Um, but yeah, heads up, everybody. You should check out the Misters of the Dark episode with Ricky Blaylock because we talk about yeah. the robotic werewolves and uh, we actually buy some in the show. So anyway, so that's that story. The second one I have is a little more legit, but it's huge, huge space news. Uh, This comes from sciencealert.com, and it says, It's official. The fast radio burst coming from within our galaxy is repeating. Whew, that's big. So this says, The first object within the Milky Way galaxy caught emitting fast radio burst is now officially a repeater. In a new peer-reviewed paper, uh, it has been described as spitting out two more powerful radio signals consistent with those seen from extragalactic sources. The new signals, however, are not all the same strength. This suggests that there could be more than one process inside magnetars that are capable of producing these enigmatic bursts, and that SGR 1935 plus 2154 could be a dream come true, an excellent laboratory for understanding them. These fast radio bursts have been a puzzle since their discovery in 2007. They're extremely powerful bursts of energy... Uh, only in radio frequencies lasting just milliseconds long at most. I think they even did a episode on one of the shows on Gaia on this, by the way. Um, And there were several major difficulties in figuring out what they were. And until April of this year, the fast radio bursts known as FRBs had only been detected coming from outside the Milky Way, millions of light years away, way too far to do more than at most track them down to a general region in another galaxy. For most of them, we haven't even been able to do that. And while a few have been detected repeating, most FRB sources have only been detected flaring once and without warning, which makes them incredibly difficult to trace. However, although a handful of FRBs have been traced to an origin galaxy, astronomers were no closer to confirming a definite source of the signals until this one. On April 28, 2020, a dead, highly magnetized star within our own galaxy, only 30,000 light years away, was recorded emitting, emitting an incredibly powerful millisecond duration burst of radio waves. Once the signal was corrected for distance, astronomers found that it was not quite as powerful as extragalactic FRBs, but everything else about it fit the profile. The event was officially confirmed as an FRB earlier just this month and was given a name 
oh, this is such a great name. FRB200428. Um, sounds like a robot on Lost in Space or something. <laughs> Since then, astronomers have been keeping a careful eye on this one. And sure enough, uh, in May, the Westerbrook Synthesis Radio Telescope in the Netherlands caught two millisecond long radio bursts from the same magnetar and only 1.4 seconds apart. Um, and this goes on and on to talk about why these signals are important to us, um, that this is just something that's huge news. And the fact that the range of the signal strength was huge on this last one, we don't know why. Um, yeah. They say, assuming that a single emission mechanism is responsible for all reported radio bursts, it has to be of such a type that the burst rate is close to independent of the amount of energy emitted across more than seven orders of magnitude. Woo. So yeah, no one knows how they're formed or whether it's gravity yeah. or what, but this is a huge deal that it's repeated. It's come back to us and it's within our galaxy. So, well, and, and I mean, I'm going to be honest here, you know, we're, we humans are assuming this is natural, but we don't really don't know. I mean, Mm-mm. we, you know, we're, I don't know if we're expecting to, you know, hear, you know, uh, Terry Miners or somebody or somebody on, you know, come up, come across these FRBs, George <laughs> you know, we're just going to pick it up. Oh, look, he's talking about Fearscape podcast. But no, I mean, yep. it's it's uh, who, who knows what to, what it is and how we can interpret it. But it is really cool that it's repeating. And, and you know, there's a lot of noise in space. Just general. There's just a lot of noise in space. Yep. Yep. Uh, so there because everything you would think that it's a vacuum and so you wouldn't hear anything but in fact stars and planets and everything else they make all kinds of noise and we pick all that up but this is really cool that this is the first time that a a sound burst has started and stopped and then b that it's repeated itself absolutely and you can take a look at the deeper research in nature astronomy at nature.com um, you can find it in their articles published on November 16th, 2020. Um, it goes really deep into everything. It has all the the, the journals and everything cited. Um, if you're really wanting to take a deep dive and, uh, you know, just do more than hear my beautiful voice, go ahead and go to nature.com and check that out in the nature astronomy section. So very, very interesting stuff. There's a lot of space stuff that's been going on and it makes you wonder what the flap that's happening a right lot. now with everything. Yep. Is this part of it? Is, is this is this part of it? You know, you know, just again, like we talked about with, uh, you know, Ken Johnston a few weeks ago, definitely is a ramp up of activity. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely is. Um, so but anyways, uh, since we're in outer space, let's go ahead and move to our UAP sighting of the week. All right, Josh, what do we got for our unidentified aerial phenomenon sighting of the week? What kind of goodness in the sky have we uh, discovered this week? So um, this is from uh, September 14th of this year uh, at 540 a.m. in Duck Creek Village, Utah. Oh, yeah, Utah. Lots of good stuff up there. Skinwalker. <laughs> yep. Mormons, well, and it's, I just, salt. you know. I saw this name of this location, Duck Creek Village. And I thought, you know, that's just the fact that somebody 200 years ago probably was like, what are we going to call this creek? Well, I don't know. There's a bunch of ducks on it. Let's call it Duck, Duck Creek. creek. You know? <laughs> and then they that's just like, built a town around it. You that's know? the same thing. It's like, what are we going to call this creek? I don't know. Tommy's standing in it. We'll just call it Thomas Creek then. Man. <laughs> <laughs> that's or, or, you know. 
Tommy died in it. I mean, yeah. Know, who knows? So, Thomas yeah. Memorial Creek. Yeah. All right. So, uh, so what's the sighting? Yeah. So uh, let's see. It goes like this. I am camping in Dixie National Forest near Duck Creek Village, Utah. I went out to pee while it was still quite dark, a small crescent moon, but cloudless, and noticed what I first thought was the most unusual straight line of stars that I'd ever seen. In a matter of seconds, I went from thinking it was a string of bright stars across the sky, then I thought they were moving, and I knew they were all moving in a straight path from south to north at unknown altitude. If they had not been moving, they would have been appeared to be just like a very straight line of bright stars in the sky. I could not see too far to the north in any direction. They were traveling because of the trees. But when I looked to the south, I could see where they originated from. It was as if they were appearing out of something, but I could see nothing, and there were no sound at all. It looked like they were just appearing or entering out of nowhere. They were mostly pretty... It looked like they were just equidistant from each other, but a few would appear more closely spaced than others. I guess that I could see about 15 degrees of the sky out of the 180 from where they originated to where I could no longer see them behind the trees. It took them less than 10 seconds to cover that distance. I guess it could have been stationary military craft emitting munitions with tracers, but there were absolutely no sound on a very quiet and still night. Furthermore, the objects did not seem to be traveling in an arc, or the distance that I could see them, they were no trails. They just looked like bright stars that were moving across the sky. Coolest thing I've ever seen in the night sky, that's for sure. I thought of going back inside my RV to get my phone for pictures, but nothing I ever tried to photograph at night can be seen. I don't want to miss the show. Coolest thing I've ever seen in the night sky, that's for sure. Well, that's because he still got that old Nokia. Like, does that even take <laughs> yeah. pictures? I don't even think it takes pictures. <laughs> no. I don't think it takes pictures. <laughs> no, no, but still. That's that's fascinating. Well, and, and what's really interesting is the, the, so every one of these reports gives you an option to, to classify the shape. So like, is it an oval? Was it a cigar shape? This person classified this as fireball. So, the the thought so here here's where i'm thinking people listening are probably like starlink right anytime you hear about a trail of right. lights in the sky it's automatically assumed that it was starlink but the fact that this is classified as the a fireball the fact that he ruled out or even considered the possibility of it being like tracer rounds from a military craft leads me to believe that it's it's lower in the sky yep than satellites that's what i was gonna say too because uh fireball would probably be the size of the one we saw um this past summer uh, yeah big one that and that that's not starlink starlink looks essentially the size of a star i mean yeah i mean it's like it's like watching 30 international space station lights go across the sky right it's exactly so if you've ever seen the International Space Station out, you know, in the, in the night sky, it's pretty much like that. Also, um, most satellites, not all, but majority of satellites travel in a west to east direction to take advantage of the Earth's rotation. Correct. And so um, even if they were Starlink, they don't travel uh, north to south. Right. Right. 
So, yep. And uh, the other thing I like is that he made sure to talk to you about uh, the the uh, sound because that's something interesting. Because if it is military, unless they are legit hiding yeah. technology from us, we have nothing that is quiet. Well, and and you know, I think it's really interesting. He said sound because if they were fired from a a, a weapon or a gun big enough to be seen at night like that, then that firing you know would make a sound you boom, yeah, even boom, if it was boom, pew, boom. Pew, pew. yeah exactly <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah so yeah i um i think we just rolled everything else out here it's it's clearly a uap sighting agreed all right well let's go ahead and move into creepy ketchup i know we don't have a ton but i'm anxious to get to jim schmidt anyway so let's go ahead and talk about some creepy ketchup creepy ketchup Creepy ketchup. Creepy ketchup. Y'all, it's creepy. All right, so I only have one thing, and it's more fun. It didn't scare me, but my uh, sister and I were out hiking in Sedona, which uh, most people know is like home to many psychic, energetic vortexes and all sorts of crazy stuff. It's like a spiritual mecca for all new agey people. And uh, we went into this cave uh, that we hiked up to, and uh, there was just a point where out of the corner of my eye, standing back in like this nook, I saw a man standing there. And I remember seeing kind of native type clothing because it definitely wasn't modern or white people clothing by any means. Um, And I begin to say to my sister, I'm like, hey, do you see? And she goes, the guy standing right back there in the nook. And I said, yes. <laughs> and so um, we were just like, hey, thanks for letting us hang out in your cave. <laughs> you know, and we just we just kind of left. I took a picture of the area, you know, just in case the camera picked it up and didn't yeah. pick anything up. But I mean, yeah. my sister and I both felt it. She, you know, she finished my sentence. So pudding, that's pudding for me. But yeah, that's that's all the creepy ketchup I've had this week. You know, I've often wondered, I mean, we, we've advanced so much in photographic technology that we have these stunning, amazing pictures. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if the old style cameras were more apt to pick things up than new there are a cameras. lot of people that think that film itself picked up better than a digital picture, that yeah. there was something in the, the way that film worked that did things. Same thing with uh, television signal or VHS, things like that, that kind of non-digital quality tend yep. to pick things up. I don't know. But I did also just remember I did have another thing happen to me. Um, I, it feels like it was two weeks ago, but it was still this week. Um, we went to uh, Skull Valley, Arizona, which is a great name. Uh, for my sister's birthday, we rented a cabin, me and my siblings and everybody. And uh, anyways, this is I took a bunch of really cool Starfield pictures and, and uh, you pointed out, which I did double check. I got a great long, like straight line of the uh, International Space Station on yeah. one of the long exposure. And like I said, I did check the time and everything. And that was a good guess because that's exactly what it was. Uh, but anyways, it was so dark and so crazy. And this is in the Prescott National Forest. and We're out in the middle of nowhere. And we're just walking around and my sister and I said, we are not going to use any flashlights for the whole weekend. We're just going to let the stars light our way. And so we kept getting used to stuff. Well, anyways, every single time that I would be walking by myself outside, because there was this like uh, community area that was a part of this farm that you could go to. No one else was there. It was just us, but it was still, it had like hammocks and tables and all kinds of stuff. So we'd go hang out there because they had a fire pit and stuff. 
But a lot of times I would go either first or last or whatever. But I'm telling you, every single time that I was walking, I could hear someone walking with me. It was two sets of footsteps every single time. Mm. And um, when my sister and I were walking together and my brother and I were walking together, it sounded very different. Like that was two sets of footsteps as well, but they were solid. Like right. it was the only way I can describe it. But I kid you not, every single time I walked by myself, I could hear another set of footsteps. Sometimes it'd be to the right of me. Sometimes it'd be behind me. Um, I wasn't scared. Um, I almost felt like they were just kind of watching out for me just in case a bear got me or something, but, um, <laughs> it definitely gave me the chills, but in kind of a cool way, I just, like I yeah. said, for some reason I wasn't scared. Um, but it was really interesting. I mean, it's like, and it wasn't an echo, you know, it's <laughs> it yeah. very different. It did not match my footsteps at hmm. all. It was very different. Like they took smaller steps than me. So very, hmm. very interesting. And uh, sorry, I thought I had already told that, but <laughs> like you I know, said, you, it feels like two weeks. <laughs> you need you need to get a uh, <clears throat> a digital audio recorder. And just when you go out and do stuff like that, just like when you're walking or out yeah. in the desert or whatever, just hit just hit record and just let I it. have it on my phone. I need to. Yeah, I don't ever think to use it in those instances because I'm just, but I don't just, know. Who I go knows what you're going to pick up? Yeah. I don't know. What about you? Anything happened for you this week? Yeah. So, so two things. One, one is kind of spooky. Um, the other one is, um, it's just kind of interesting and funny. So the first one was, um, my, uh, so my daughters are back home for school because of COVID. They have to do homeschool for three weeks or so and probably more. But so I've been having their windows open every day. Okay. So like blinds, you know, twisted open to let some sun shine in while they're in school. Right. The other night I was uh, walking down the hallway and I just happened to glance into my first, the first room, my daughter's room. And on the other side of the blinds in the window, I see these two glowing eyes looking back at me. Ooh, you haven't had that in a minute. No. So um, I do like a triple take, still see it. Uh, but I kept walking. I was like, well, you know, so I got back to my other daughter's room. There's nothing there. I was like, well, I'm going to go turn around. I go back and check. There's nothing there. But um, what's really interesting is my first daughter's room is about four feet off the ground. Like you would have to be yeah. pretty tall to be standing there and for me to see glowy eyes in, through the window. Yeah. So definitely not a raccoon. No, definitely not. No. Um, and I, honestly, I mean, I, I feel like I've. I'm pretty sure, you know, we've seen stuff in my backyard. We've mm -hmm. seen stuff go across the roof. Um, and I, I do feel like things look in and watch you sometimes. And it, but again, I never, I never get the feeling of like, it's negative. Right. It's just more that they're interested. Right. So, so that's the first thing. The second thing is, and I'll tell a little story because it's relevant. So when I was in high school, I went to my cousin's uh, birthday party. He was, I think he was turning 13. And uh, everybody was giving him kind of goofy things. And uh, he got the present that was from his parents. And it was a box, like a sleeping bag box. And he's like, what's this? And he's like playing around, opening it and stuff. And I blurted out, it's a box of shredded money. <laughs> and he opened it up and it was a box of shredded money. And the only people that, that knew about it was his mom and dad. And so they were amazed that I would just guess that off the top of my head, <laughs> which now, you know, we've talked about it. I have some intuition and stuff, and I know that. And so I'm looking back. I probably had it then. I just didn't 
know what it was. They called you the birthday ruiner. (laughs) So um, the other day, we're sitting at the table, and um, uh, my wife's talking about, you know, her birthday's coming up and wedding anniversary's coming. Like, it it hits me all, like, within a month, I've got my, my wedding anniversary, my wife's birthday, and Christmas, all within, like, a month. But, um, so we're just sitting there talking and, and, uh, my wife says, did you tell them what you got me this year? And I said, no, cause they told you last year. And, uh, my one daughter, uh, who also is, is very in- intuitive. Uh, she says, it's probably something you like, like a scarf or something. <laughs> I shit you not. I got her a scarf well, for our wedding anniversary. She don't listen to this. <laughs> well, she already, she already got it. Cause I, I oh. had to get. I had to give it to her this morning so that I could show her. See, Layla has the touch. So. <laughs> she's she's touched by God. <laughs> but yeah, um, I mean, it's just, cool, man. Yeah, so very very cool. But yeah, that's my only creepy ketchup. Cool, man. Well, let's get moving on. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back, and uh, we're going to hit up the interview with Jim Schmidt, author of The Way of Existence. So stick around, and we'll be right back. The SCP multiverse is under constant assault, and destruction can come at any moment. Therefore, having just one database is a folly the Foundation can no longer accept. Join Dr. Kevin Milgram and SCP-073, Kane, as they create an oral history of the SCP Foundation in Memories of Kane, an SCP story, hosted by Daniel Dremus. For should the Foundation fall, the unkillable first murderer of man will live on. New episodes drop every second Wednesday of the month on the Fearscape Media Network. Visit fearscapemedia.com for more information. Something dark is here, flying in the skies, lurking in the woodlands, swimming in the rivers, and hiding under your bed. Join me, Mark L. Watson, and Fearscape Media as we delve into the paranormal, the occult, the spiritual, and the esoteric, and peer beyond the veil. Find us everywhere you get your podcasts or search for more information at fearscapemedia.com. The Way of Existence by Jim Schmidt Introduction This is not a work of fiction. These are my memories. They are memories of my experiences and a few experiences of others as they were told to me. These places, people, and my relationships with them exist. I have filled in blanks like the exact words of conversations, which anyone would be hard-pressed to remember from a week ago. This reads more like a series of short scenes instead of a detailed plot because of the limits of my memory. I remember important events that were emotionally intense for me. I do not expect everyone to understand everything in these books. I have made efforts to explain things that might be difficult to understand, but I have to limit how much I explain or I will never finish this story. This is not based on any religion philosophy, or ideology. It is only my memories and what I have learned from my experiences. 
Thank you guys for sticking around after the break. We are back here on Fearscape Paranormal Podcast, and we have with us uh, an incredible author named Jim Schmidt. Uh, he's written a book called The Way of Existence. Uh, you guys heard right before uh, the introduction to his book, so you know that you know this is a past life uh, type thing. This is you know a true story, and we're going to be talking a lot about that. But uh, first of all, I just wanted to say, Jim, <laughs> thanks for joining us, man. <laughs> Thank you for having me on. Yeah. So, um, so Jim, you know, we, we, we know a little bit about the book at this point in time. We, we've kind of let our listeners know kind of the synopsis of the book, you know, your, your, your beginning uh, paragraph that you included in the first page, of the which, book. which is what drew me in. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to tell you right now, not to be a fanboy, but that introduction. And I got to tell you, I don't normally read introductions because they're usually like a, like 25 pages of just like, and then I met my wife and she just scratched <laughs> my back one night. Um, but this was quick. It was a paragraph. And I was like, Oh man, let's do this. So I, and I thought that yeah. was very brave of you as well. Yeah. Um, I have gotten a few questions about the book so far if this is um, like, where did this come from? Mm -hmm. What religion is this? Um, what cult did this come out of? Uh, what, <laughs> what cult ideology? is it going to come out of, right? <laughs> and no, this is nothing <laughs> but my actual experiences and my actual memories and um they're absolutely not i spent years actually searching different religions and philosophies and stuff like that and i learned a lot but um it, nothing really explained this except it's just um my memories and um i i do have to say though as i explored like different religions and philosophies um from around the world there were bits and pieces that i found and I thought, well, hey, this kind of makes sense. This fits in with uh, what I remember here or there sure. in different places. Well, I mean, and that's a lot, which we're big believers in, is that ancient astronaut theory that these, these you know, uh, extraterrestrials or ultraterrestrials long back in the day, we're, they were the gods around the world. Yeah. Um, they were just interpreted via their own, you know, humanistic point of view at the time. That's why so many are so similar yeah, different. Yet these were cultures that never touched one another, right? So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, we're one hundred percent behind that. Well, and so I, I, I have to know. I, I am very. So myself, I'm going on my own little journey of like, you know, what have I forgotten, right? What have I? Yeah. Uh, what do I know, and what have I forgotten? And so, I want to know. Um, you know to did you just start having dreams? Did you uh, go to hypnosis and something was awoken? You know, how did you, how did you know that you had these memories from past lives? Well, when I was real young, there were, you know, hints and signs here and there, things like that. Um, but really it was kind of when I got to be about 24 years old um, I had gone through a series of real stressful events in my life. Um, and they were really um, nothing extremely unusual, but just, you know, uh, things happen. And, and I had gone through a series of pretty stressful events. And um, I'm not sure if you guys are ever saw it. It's a pretty old movie now. I think it's from the 90s. 
called a stir of echoes. Oh yeah, yeah, Kevin Bacon. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Movie. It was kind of like that. Um, I went through a series of stressful events, and kind of like all the switches just got flipped on. And um, I'm actually going to talk. We don't have time to talk about it here. Um, actually, one of the future books in the series right now, I'm planning it to be book four, uh, would be about this life that I'm living now. And it'll cover things like this in, in more detail, okay? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I get that. my Because I'm a huge believer in past lives. Um, and they don't have to just be on this planet. I've had a number of them and things like that. Um, but one, mine, what got me is I went to see Apocalypto. Uh, the Mel Gibson movie mm-hmm. and I was triggered. I had a huge panic attack and I had all these memories and all these floods of being sacrificed at the top yeah. of the temple and all that stuff. And it was so visceral. I had to walk out of the movie and I went to the bathroom and threw up wow. and for weeks. I dreamed about that. And it was from that moment on that I began to have a fear of death um, because that movie was already so graphic and then all these memories flooded back to me. So I, I completely, I, <laughs> I'm with you, Jim, cause that mm-hmm. <laughs> similar thing happened to me. Um, luckily the other past life memories that I have were not traumatic like that. <laughs> they, they came in dreams or, or past life regressions or things like that. But yeah, mm-hmm. that one, I still can't, even if I see a trailer for Apocalypto, I get like my, I'm like, my heart starts racing. Wow. Ugh. Well, um, that a uh, period where I um, I had a lot of memories coming back to me then, in dreams and visions while I was awake, and I had a lot of um, experiences that were um, uh, kind of what people would consider like paranormal, like uh, I mean, extrasensory abilities, mm-hmm. um, except they were all out of control. Um, they weren't like you know, a Swiss army knife that you can pull out of your pocket and use whenever you want and put yeah. it away when you got to go to work. Um, it was really kind of difficult to function. Um, and, um, then eventually, um, uh, again, lots to tell here, too much to cover now. Uh, it, I, <laughs> I cover it in great detail and in a future book in a series through a series of dreams, um, I was going to this martial arts school every night in my dreams, almost for about a year. And then um, a friend of mine said, hey, this guy, you know, is opening a ninja school. You got to go talk to him. And my immediate response was, ooh, a ninja school. Right? Would I, We all would. <laughs> I, I mocked him kind of because I thought, like, the guy's really a ninja. Well, it turns out that the guy is the head student, not the grandmaster, but the head student of the grandmaster of an unbroken line of ninja and samurai that go back over a thousand years. Wow, that's like and we I had thought, a friend in high school tell us he trained in Japan to be a ninja. <laughs> we called yeah. his parents and they were like, no, he didn't. <laughs> so um, I thought, okay, cool. So I do want to go talk to this guy. And um, while I was there, long story short, um, he didn't teach me how to use those since they were already on. At that point, I was mm. like, I need to be able to function. He actually helped me learn how to control them and turn, I don't want to say turn them off because yeah. they're not completely gone. Yeah. And still, at this point, I don't have complete control over them. Like, again, sure. it's not like a Swiss Army knife where I can pull it out and do this or that or do party tricks or anything like that. 
but he helped me get them under control and helped me understand them and myself better. Absolutely, and, uh, yeah. There's yeah. just something about those Eastern religions because Buddhism really, Buddhism and, and paganism, but mostly Buddhism really helped me reel in that my sister and I both have gifts, psychic gifts and things like that. Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. it was that same thing. And yeah, Buddhism helped me so I can understand how that, that ninja mm. Zen practice and all that would help you. It's fast. So, it's good. I'm glad you had that. Cause God, that's all mm -hmm. we need is an X-Men story where someone went crazy. Right. Yeah. So that period was about two and a half years long where I was remembering things um, through visions and dreams and stuff like that. And towards the end of that, um, it was actually through that school where I met um, a very gifted uh, Native American woman who was doing a past life regression for me. And at that point, uh, she pretty much just said, you know, she didn't really do a past life reading on me. She just could pretty much just say what you remember is correct. She just <laughs> kind of confirmed what I already remembered. And I love that. at that point, she spent more time talking about how, and this was, I wasn't expecting this. She told me at that point that I was supposed to write books and leave them behind. She was very clear and specific that I was supposed to leave them behind. Um, and that was about uh, 25 years ago now. So what do, what do you think she it, meant by leave them behind? Well, there's a couple reasons. I Right now I'm not doing eBooks. I'm only doing paperbacks. Ah, okay. That and sense. people are, I know I'm going to be flooded with people saying, hey, why not just do the eBook? I just want to download it. I don't want to pay the extra for the paperback. I don't want to wait for it to get here, blah, blah, blah. But I don't know anybody who's ever inherited a digital media collection. Oh my, my <laughs> yeah. aunt passed away and she left me all her eBooks. Yeah. <laughs> we don't do it. They no. came on this thumb drive. <laughs> yeah, no, we don't do it. I'm, I'm yeah, I, we love books, man. So yeah. <laughs> and oh, you, you think about it, it, you have a digital device and you know, once you're gone, then so is your whole media collection. Right. I mean, and that's, a lot of like apocalyptic stuff where they talk about is like when yeah. you know power grids go down like that uh, that television show revolution where they're talking about they lost everything they lost it's files pictures right. everything because yeah. it was all digital i mean people laugh about the stone tablets in mesopotamia but we still have them right what, like <laughs> six thousand years later yes. we're reading like court cases that happened in mesopotamia six thousand years ago yep and um hey if there's an emp or you know seriously when someone passes on everything everything that person bought is gone and chances are the next generation younger than them is going to have absolutely no interest in any book they wrote yeah with gone. the mesopotamian tablets the only problem we'd have is if the rock biter from never ending story showed up that'd be the, yeah. <laughs> that'd be the only issue <laughs> so i i you know so so you have these uh over the course of two and a half years you have these series of dreams and yep. and uh you do the regression and and they say, hey, you know, hey, basically everything you've been dreaming for the last two and a half years, yep, that's it. Mm -hmm. My next my next question I gotta know, okay. When I have dreams and stuff, they're all over the place. Yep. I have no idea of time or order. How do you how do you put it together into this has happened what for happened first and yeah second, i was gonna say that's because i've had a set of ongoing dreams since i was a kid that continuously pick up and so yeah mm -hmm. just to add to josh's question is 
were your dreams chronological or were they all over the place like a puzzle that you had to put together? They were all over the place. I did have to put them together like a puzzle. Um, and it's just really big. It's really, really big. Um, people think that, and I can only speak from my experience. Okay. I'm, I'm never going to say I'm a divine messenger. Uh, I have special insight. I'm above, I'm wiser than anybody else is just my insight. And one gentleman who read my book already kind of mentioned, there's not really a good frame of reference at the beginning of the book. It doesn't say um, this book takes place at this pl in this place at this time, mm -hmm. because my experience along the way has kind of been like not really knowing where I am, being kind of lost, mm -hmm. um, passing through all these dimensions and realms and all this time and not really having a good frame of reference, feeling yeah. kind of lost. Um, I thought that was kind of implied, though, in my opinion. I, You know, the fact, yeah. the way the move through dimensions and things like that, that already says, hey, time is not relevant here. Right, right. <laughs> Even mentioning millions of years or, or whatever, staying on a place, I still feel like that's using Earth terms to describe what you were trying to figure out. Right. No. So, um... I'm sorry, guys, here. Um, so the there wasn't a chronological order. They were kind of all over the place, but here's the thing. Um, it wasn't just a series of, of dreams and memories. Um, there was also, every time I would have a dream, there would be more information in it. I don't know if you've ever had a dream. Uh, kind of interested to know myself. Had you guys ever have a dream where you're having a dream and you see what you see but you kind of see a person and you know who that is and you know a lot about them and you know what happened to them before this dream mm -hmm. and just kind of like in your daily life you might see the people you work with for a few minutes but you see oh there's bob and i've been working with bob for 10 years and i know all kinds of things about bob already yeah so when i would have these dreams and these visions uh when i was awake i would have um one of the the this is really kind of difficult to explain if you closed your eyes and felt like uh something like in front of you and to the right and then you keep your eyes closed and try to imagine something behind you and to the left you would kind of be able to feel that you know you would have kind of like a spatial feeling sure well i was getting the same thing with time when i would have <laughs> I would have similar visions and dreams over and over again. And one would feel like it's just a long, long time in the past. Wow. And after a while I could feel, I would just feel this one was, is further back. I know it's further back than this other one that I'm having. And that kind of helped me piece things together. And something else that I've found and um, is that when you have a dream, and uh, okay, again, this is kind of the way I understand things. We yep. here are in the third dimension. And when you have a dream, you're like in the fourth dimension. Okay. Or uh, we dream on what uh, people, some people will call the astral plane, which is also like the fourth dimension. And it's also where our emotions are. Okay. <clears throat> now the present moment, if you think of the present moment here, the present moment on the astral plane in your dreams I, I like to say it's wider 
it's wider than the present mm -hmm. in this dimension. So the present moment in the astral plane, the fourth dimension where we dream, right. stretches a little back, a little bit back into the past and a little bit into our future from where we are now, which is why people will frequently dream about things that recently happened and things that may possibly soon, very soon happen, or they may dream about people who recently passed away, uh, because on the, in that dimension and next dimension, um, it's still the present moment. It's not a separation. And I, I'm just going to take this one step further. This is not my direct experience, but we were talking about Buddhism. I have seen um, a, kind of like a similar things in Buddhism mm -hmm. where they say that all boundaries between in, in time and space disappear about halfway up uh, through the fifth dimension. Mm -hmm. So again, having a wider present moment in the fourth dimension yeah. would kind of make sense, you know. Well, you know, and it's, man, it really hits on yeah, something. Yeah, I was stuffing. like, that hits really deep. That was beautiful, Jim. Yeah. Like, I could not have explained it any yeah. better. That was You know, that's, that's, that's <laughs> like, you know, Stefan, I was talking to you a few months ago about the whole idea about, um, you know, like time is, is uh, time oh, is like is a swimming all, pool. Like a swimming pool. Like, it's, yeah. it's all mixing in together. And, it, and there is no right. past, present, or future. It's just all happening at the same time. And how you experience it is what you are in tuned to be able to touch. Mm -hmm. If you are in the physical, you're in tune to be able to touch very linear time, past, present, and future. But if you're in tuned beyond the physical, then you can touch everything at the same time and jump to places in time, or time may not matter at all. Right? Yeah. During that time, during that two and a half years, I actually could feel, and this is the best way I, I figured out how to describe it, I could feel my consciousness going backward and forward in time at the same time. I mm. could just feel my consciousness expanding further uh, forward and back. Now, in that regard, um, you know, different people have different gifts and everybody's different. Some people are good at some things and not so good at other things. I'm not the kind of psychic, if you will, who can give you real detailed information about something that's going to happen next week or next month or next year or something that's happening, something that happened last week. Um, I seem to do better with things that are very, very far out into the future like um i'm guessing like millions of years or things equally that far back in time hmm, um, very interesting so very far back but as far as like immediate and recent no just not there for me hmm. That's a long time ahead in a galaxy far far away <laughs> pretty much yeah <laughs> um so one of the things that i i really picked up on um in, in the book is is the idea that well number one you talk about there being and I don't know other planets yep but some some planets are a part of this uh, galactic order if you will yep um, and some planets have rebelled against that galactic order and so they're they're doing things differently yep. um, and so I don't know if you want to expand on that at all or uh, yeah. Um, just about every major world religion has some kind of a rebellion story or a fall from grace story. Mm -hmm. um, 
And, um, you know, I just don't know another way to say it. Um, I remember that. Hmm. I remember that happening and I wasn't on this planet. It was another planet. And I can't tell you exactly how it all happened. You know, I can only tell you what I remembered happening on my planet. And again, this is going to be covered in what I have planned for book three. Um, but essentially, um, and I talk about this in this first book. Um, well, one of the, one of the main ideas, I, I, I'm sorry, I got to kind of jump around here a little bit. That's all right. One of the main ideas I have in the back of this book is uh, that I say planets are stations where energy evolves upward from nothing to souls ready to begin their journey to heaven. Okay. And um, that's kind of a deep statement there. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of saying a lot, but um, it's kind of like that's a I'm not going to say the meaning of life or the purpose of life or anything, you know, really presumptuous like that or anything that bold. But um, it's kind of um, a a big thing that happens. And again, it's kind of like saying someone was saying, is that really fair? Is that really fair to us? Um, We should have really... um, free choice, free will, you know? So it's kind of, and I even say this in the, in the first book here, a, a character asks, so is our planet isolated and quarantined as a punishment? And, you know, the main character answers, no, it's quarantined as a freedom. Yeah. Um, it kind of gives us our own, our, our chance to decide for ourselves, uh, you know, what the meaning of life is. And, um, and kind of like that. Um, the the beauty of it all is is, and I really hope that this is a book that reaches mass audiences because this is something that I could see in the future in a college or high school class, people looking back and saying, "Was this an allegory for 2020?" Right? Because there's so much that has just happened over this year that I'm fascinated by. Just this idea of quarantine. This idea of um, freedoms where you've got these people saying, Oh, I don't, I don't need to wear a mask because it's right. my personal free. It's, it's funny right. how you could translate this that was written before into this allegory for what's been happening this year. And it, you know, it just makes you wonder you being told to leave it behind, right? Is it something that will be compared to this craziness of a year and saying, Hey, this is an allegory for what happened during that year. Well, I do have to say, um, I, Sometimes I, I have guides that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, will just put little ideas in my head or give me a nudge. Uh, when, yeah, we when work with needed. guides as well. Yeah. And um, like I said, I was told that I should write these books and leave them behind when I, uh, about 25 years ago. And then I was like, okay, so I got to write. I got to write, right? I got to write. And they would say, not yet, not yet, not yet. Um and I originally had that reading done when I was about 25 years old. And then all through my 20s and 30s, um, they would say, not yet, not yet. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I had a spirit, one of my spiritual teachers in this life. She told us that you do your spiritual work in your 30s. And I did go through a lot of interesting thing in my 30s, a lot of interesting things. 
And uh, again, I plan on covering a lot of that in book uh, four in the series. But um, then after I got to through my 30s and I got to be about 40 years old, then they said, okay, now you can start to write. And I was writing a little bit, but it was like pulling together a really vague, cloudy, nebulous story into something that would make sense. And people who are very busy and don't want to spend a lot of time on this and have a short attention span will read and right. enjoy. So that was kind of a challenge there. And then when I got to be about 45, about five years ago, they said, okay, now you seriously need to get serious about getting this book done. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And um, I actually finished, finished the book in November of 2019. And I just kind of walked away from it for about two months. Didn't mm. do anything. And uh, cause they were like, you know what? It's good that it's done, but it's, I'm like, well, I got to publish this thing and get it out right now. And they, they said, no, no, not yet. Don't do it. Not, not yet. And then um, the pandemic hit. And like many other people, I was laid off. And yep. uh, I've before the pandemic, I've never gone more than a month without a job in my field. And uh, I was laid off for eight months. I recently just started a new job. Um and one of the things that allowed me to do was to uh, finish editing the book and get it printed and get it done. Hmm. And it's, um, I don't think it's a coincidence that my guides were kind of like, it's got to be done now. Yeah. And the reason for that, uh, there can be many reasons, like you were talking about one. But the one that, that strikes me is that when things are good, when, when life is going smoothly... People just kind of go like, you know, I'm good. I don't really need to, you know, I don't need to know what you're talking about. I'm not really interested. My life is pretty good and uh, I'm good, you know. Yeah. And then when the, the seas get rough and things get stormy, people kind of like they reach out. They're kind of like, you know, um, hey, you know, maybe I need to look for something deeper. People kind of look for another meaning. It kind of reminds me of um, they did a study of of exceptionally successful people, really, really successful people. And they found that 75% of them had a traumatic childhood. I've heard that, yeah. Yeah, something that makes you uncomfortable enough to you know, let go of what you have and look at something new. It's interesting because a lot of uh, creative people tend to have that too. I mean, I remember in my theater department because I'm an actor and things like that. It's like I can remember... Every, there, there was like maybe one person that didn't have a traumatic childhood like we all just sought yeah. to create and to build something new and to find existence within each other and yeah, I, yeah. man I vibe with that big time so I'm, I'm curious and I, this is something that I um, I heard or read somewhere I can't remember where it was um, a few months ago, and Stefan, you and I talked a little bit about it. I'm just curious if, if you've ever do you, do you have you know anything about numerology? Have you looked into anything numerology related? A little bit, yeah. I'm familiar with it. It's not something that I ever felt like extremely drawn to or had any kind of big revelations through or anything like that. But I'm familiar with it. Um, so there's a there's a number called your life path number. Like you take your birth date and you and something else i can't remember what you factor it all out and it comes out to your life path number mine for example is six mm -hmm. and i read a i read a um 
an article where someone talked about your life path number being the the number of lives you're in. So like, mm-hmm. if mine is my sixth, then I'm I've reincarnated six times. Um, this is my sixth life, and so I'm just curious uh, if if based on what you remember, if you've ever looked at your life path number, if that would coincide with your uh, number of lives that you remember having. Um, I'm not sure, and that's kind of a, a, a tough question, but it, it kind of leads into something else that I actually kind of wanted to talk about. Um, see, I remember many past lives. Um, I was going to ask that, yeah. And not all of them are linear, okay? Mm-hmm. And in fact, it's kind of, um, I think one of the things that I, I try to start to um, to touch on here uh, kind of in in this series of books um, a, a big part of it a, a big part of the reason why I, I wrote the books is because I, I realized that a lot of people see reality in a way that I don't and also um, it, I'm, I'm going away off on a tangent here I'm sorry no, we love tangents um, <laughs> I had an uncle who was a biochemist and um, he kind of got me interested in science real early on. And um, for me, quantum physics and quantum mechanics just kind of came really easily to me and it always made sense to me. Hmm. Um, And the way that uh, there are some ideas that if we look at um, what modern science is telling us, it makes sense with uh, the way that reality is right now. They, they kind of, it, people kind of brush it off as like quantum weirdness and it's not supposed to make sense and stuff like that. Um, but actually it, it actually does make a lot of sense. And one of the things is uh, that, uh, but in, in the first book, I kind of have to start at the beginning and the beginning for me is kind of like um, most people. I'm not going to say everybody. This is actually, I'm not talking about anything new. All the ideas I talk about are very, very old. But a lot of people today in today's modern world mm-hmm. will see reality as like um, equal, a set of equal opposites. Okay. There is it either exists or it doesn't. It's real or it's not real. There's light and there's dark. There's good and there's evil. And it's everything is a, a set of equal and opposite counterbalancing um, like that. And that that is true at, at some levels, okay? Uh, of course, there are light and dark and good and evil and, and mm-hmm. counterbalancing forces and things like that. But there is one unifying whole that encompasses all of that, okay? And... Um, if again, going back to the particle physics kind of thing, you, you guys are, I'm sure you, you guys are smart guys. You're familiar with the concept of how like electrons can act like a wave or a particle sometimes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's some energy floating along and it's a wave and then it condenses and it becomes a particle and then it becomes a wave again. And then a little further on down, it becomes a particle again. Now, is that second particle the same particle as the first one? Well, 
it depends because when the first particle kind of turned into a wave some of that energy might have scattered off to the far corners of the universe mm -hmm. but when it comes together as a particle again it's just gonna grab some more energy from nearby and use it to condense huh. into whatever amount of mass that an electron needs to be an electron again so that second electron might be like 99% of the last electron, mm -hmm. you know? And one of the ideas that I, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, work on throughout the series of books is people are no different, okay? So in you, you can say you had your last life and was that really you in that last life? Well, you were born in this life and you were born X number of years ago and you're special and different and unique and you're never gonna exist again as the way you are right now. But if you have enough memories of such and such a person in the past, you have enough of their energy. I mean, where do you draw the line? You know, yeah. reminds say, me of Doctor Who, <laughs> really. Right, am I really that person? Am I not that right. person? Um, you don't have to be, you know, if you were the exact same person, life after life after life, how would you grow? How would you be able to <laughs> Exactly. You know? Yep. So you're would, would you be? I mean, it, you know, uh, are we who we are because of our experiences or because of what we're made up of, right? <laughs> right, right. So um, I have a number of um, memories of, of a number of past lives but um not all of them you know i'm gonna say are the way that people kind of think you know this is me and i only pass through these certain lives you know there's mm. all kinds of energy that comes to you from past lives and past beings and you know is that that could be a whole discussion in itself but um, <laughs> right so uh, i apologize getting back to your original question josh um, I don't know what my my life number is. I think you called it. Yeah, life path um, number. Yeah, yep. life path number. <clears throat> but um, it, it's kind of hard to say. Um, and and again, um, it it's I, I if if someone really pressed me and said you know put a number on how many lives you've had, uh, I wouldn't be able to give you a number because. I would say there are some past lives that I have a lot of energy from and I feel really connected to. And then there are others that are kind of just, I have kind of hazy, vague memories from where maybe I just got a little bit of energy from that being in the past. And well, I'm it's not like really the, the main character in the book, right? I mean, that lifespan just before the book even opens was millions huge. of years. Yeah. So, yep. Right. And, I'll talk about this more in book four, but a big part of that was a time dilation factor, which again, if you look at relativity, it clearly states that gravity does affect uh, how fast uh, time passes. Right. So in that character's experience, he experienced millions of years. Um, what we would call in this dimension that we are in it was maybe a couple hundred thousand years. Right. Um, well, you know, yeah, that's something that I, you know, I, Stefan, we were talking about the other day. You know, a, a, what is a year for us could be a thousand years for some other planet going around a different star. Right. So, you know, time is only relative to our understanding of time. 
So well, in that like that Christian concept as well that like a year or a day to God is like a thousand years or something. Well, I don't right. <laughs> but it's yeah. Well, here we go. If we're looking at God or gods <laughs> being uh, ETs, right? It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's possible. But I mean, you look at I mean the the the, the theory of light. You know, faster than light speed. You know, whereas to them it's a few seconds, but back here it's been years. Mm-hmm. So very. So <laughs> that stuff blows my mind. <laughs> so I, so I, I, you know, I asked the question around numerology, and I, and I do, uh, I am, am quite into numerology and in, in the uh, relevancy of numbers. And uh, one of the big numbers that Stefan will know that we've been talking around a lot about is the idea of the, the number three that exists mm-hmm. a lot which for me it's, already was a number because comedians we always think that humor happens in threes <laughs> <laughs> but uh but one of the things i i picked up on or i saw or i made reference of is that um the first page in the book that uses the title of the book in a sentence mm-hmm. was page 102 which rules down which roots down to three okay so, the one plus two is three I did not plan it that way. <laughs> the the page that gives the premise of why worlds are quarantined uh-huh. was, was page one thirty eight, which adds up to twelve, which roots down to three. So yep. uh, you may not have planned it that way, but the numbers were in were in your were in your corner, so to speak. So. <laughs> now you're gonna see three everywhere. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> That's what Josh did to me. I see three <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> Okay, well, it might have happened that way because um, during this process, there were the, the process of writing this book, it was pretty difficult. And I have to say that the rest of the, the other four books in this series, all five are pretty much laid out and outlined. They're not written, written, but they're pretty much the, sto- the plot is there, the story is there. And how I wrote these books most of it was written between 2 and 4 a.m um and it was more like connecting i don't want to say like channeling because i wasn't channeling like some other spirit or something like that it was me but it's more like i had to connect to another part of myself that i normally am not connected to when i'm at work or shopping at the grocery store or something like that right and And, um, i mean we talked about that idea of time just existing right i mean and it could be you connecting with yourself from that time you know it's just happening now right well i i really say and i'll I'll talk about this more in future books your dna i think is really just an antenna it's Mm. an antenna that kind of tunes in a spirit uh that tunes in an energy that is your spirit in the its current state you know um, and hopefully your your soul, your energy learns and changes and grows during this lifetime. And, you know, towards the end, if you live a long enough life, the DNA that you have, the, the body that you have, it's kind of not really serving your spirit anymore. At, at a certain point, it's going to start to limit, you know, your growth. Um, so, um, but what I would do is I would kind of write late at night and... Um, you know, during the day, I, I couldn't write to save my life. I tried so I could go to work without being tired the next day, but I just couldn't. And then if I stayed up and between 2 and 4 a.m., they would just flow out of me. It would just write. I would just write like crazy. Hmm. Um, 
and that's kind of how I uh, wrote the book. You know, something that really um, uh, Stefan and I have both been on a really big John Keel kick uh, for like the last eight months. Been reading a lot of John Keel, <clears throat> and one of the things that John Keel, one of his books, is called um, "The Eighth Tower," um, and it really talks about the idea that there are these uh, entities that are or beings that are able to manipulate uh, what he calls the super spectrum and that is to say that is all of the frequencies of, of light and energy that even the, the things that we can't really perceive in our current state mm -hmm. and so a lot of the things that we see and that we witness are just their manipulations of this super spectrum and so there's there are several points in your book where you talk about being tuned in to frequencies to see and experience certain things right. and, for, and for me that really connected between what keel was talking about in the eighth tower and then what you're talking about uh in this book so yes yeah, so just really for me it was a really big connection point absolutely um when um when I was at that uh, ninjutsu school that we talked about earlier, um, I didn't actually study a lot of fighting there. Um, we were doing things more like uh, one day the teacher was was thinking of a piece of fruit and imagining that, and we were supposed to, um, he was thinking of like the texture of it and the color of it and the smell of it, and we were supposed to pick up on what it was he was thinking about. But instead um, of guessing that or seeing that, I said, well, I'm, I'm seeing like different shows in my head and there's like different channels I can just switch between them. And um, he said, well, hang on a minute here. I want to go check something. And he went and talked to another person who actually was the same um, nice lady who did the past life regression for me. This was on a different occasion though. And um, after talking for a while, they came back and said, we think what's happening is that um, what I was doing is I was clairvoyantly seeing different, the, I, I hate to say this, this isn't like the end all be all, but one way that the astral plane is separated around the planet Earth is it's in seven major sublayers. Okay. Yeah, that was very yeah. interesting to me. That okay. concept. Those are the seven seven realms, correct? That's what I think it was referred no, to. No, there's six realms. Six realms. Sorry. And and Buddhism and Taoism talk about the six realms. There's a hell, hungry ghost, uh, animal, human, demigod, and god. And one of the very unusual things about me, which again. A, compelled me to write the books is I actually remember past lives not just as a human not just on another planet but actually as spirits and beings in the other six realms yep that is very and normally there's very very little written about the six realms even in Taoism and Buddhism mm -hmm. uh, especially well simply because a lot of westerners don't accept it they don't right. they don't vibe the with that part of it reincarnation yeah. So they just don't talk about it. But I actually remember past lives um, in the other realms. And um, okay, so there's the six realms of, about, uh, of Buddhism and Taoism. And then there's um, the astral 
plane or the fourth dimensional body of the earth really separates itself into seven major uh, subplanes, kind of like a rainbow. Okay. Right. And these are just different um, layers of energy that are kind of separated out by density by gravity actually. Okay. And um, the seven layers in the seven layers, what I, what was happening there is I was, clairvoyantly just um looking at each of the seven layers just like changing channels on a television okay Hmm. and what they said is they thought that i was a person who was really supposed to be born in the future and i volunteered to be born early and one of the reasons was to write these books and leave them behind for other people who would come after me to help them kind of adjust um, in easier way. But what I was doing is I was just kind of, again, what we were talking about the frequencies, just kind of tuning around where, um, in my head, I can just kind of, it's like changing channels. Just, I'm going to look at this channel, this frequency, that frequency, that frequency. Now, most of the time, what happens when someone passes on or a lot of the time, there's so many things that can happen after you pass on. I hate to just say, this is the way this is what happens after you (laughs) die. This is the way impossible (laughs) but what many people experience is how they live their life good life bad life mean nice whatever um kind of draws you your focus to one of those layers of the astral plane um obviously the higher ones being a nicer place to be and the lower ones being a not so nice place to be and when they pass on, they find that they're in that place. They're just, they're, they're tuned to that frequency. And eventually they kind of decay from that, but they have to spend some time there. Now, whereas most people just kind of are focused on a layer, um, I am able to, like I said, just like changing channels, just say, Mm -hmm. I want to look at this layer, that layer. But again, I would agree with you completely. It's more like, just being able to tune into different frequencies and that's going to really be your experience there because mm-hmm. it's you know what what area what frequency what layer of of the physical world of energy are you focused on are you perceiving man i gotta say jim like the way you describe things it's fascinating i, I mean I, it, you just really hit home perfectly on ways that i've tried to explain things to people before and you have such a great way of explaining it. So Thank I appreciate you. that because it kind of helps me be able to share that with people. Thoughts that I've had, I can kind of collect. And, and now but I've got a better way. <laughs> it's kind of the goal. That's kind Good. of the goal of the whole thing is not to tell people, hey, here's the way it is. And you got to believe me, but just kind of to try and help people to understand the world around them and be able to see it for themselves because I think the truth, and this is another thing I kind of touch on in the book here. I think the truth is self-evident all around us Mm -hmm. and you shouldn't have to look to me or of course there's messengers and guides and, and, uh, you know, different things like that, that we can look to for guidance. But if you can't look around the physical world around you and and see the evidence of that backing that up, then what is it? You know, that's why people just say, Hey, you know, all this, religions and philosophies are just things that people made up and if they're true then we should be able to look around us and see the evidence in the world around us well it's like and like i said earlier i mean yeah i guess in a way you could say it's making it up but it's also somebody trying to explain something they don't understand through their own point of view and experience because that's all we have 
That's yeah. why there's gods and things that are similar in different countries that are different. Or we just did an episode on the boogeyman. I mean, there's stories through history and time that are similar. We talked about dragons. There were dragons in England, but there were dragons in China. Yeah. And they described them in their own point of view and their own experience. And that's that's all we have. That's all we can do, you know? And again, that's why I like this book so much is it, it, it brings about this this uh, experience through your point of view using mm -hmm. things. There is this obvious um, religious uh, study that we can tell that you have in your head that you're able to use to point in the right direction to clear memories and to clear those things. It's it's fascinating, man. Yeah, um, I, I will say though, I'll I'll drop a big hint here without giving any spoilers. Um, I do talk about religion in a different way in in the next book, but I'm kind of having to set it up here in the first book with the idea that, and and I. I haven't really talked about this yet here in the interview. I, I kind of want to touch on this. Yeah. Instead of reality simply being the ultimate reality is not this balance of opposites. There is a, a single whole that encompasses both. And the way that I have found that uh, is the easiest way for me to, to understand it myself is and I'm not sure if you did you, did either of you guys take calculus at all for semester calculus? I did not. I'm an art. I, I took fine. <laughs> I took finite math, which had, which had a little bit of everything in it. So okay. So, did you study the concept of the derivative at all? A little bit, but again, that was 20 years ago. So bear okay. with me. So, there is a concept of taking a function to its limit. Do you remember that at all? Yes. Okay. Okay. That's all we need. That's all okay. we need. <laughs> okay. I'm like, Broadway musicals are great. <laughs> okay. It, it's kind of, there's a simple, there's a simple way to explain it. But, you know, the reason I bring up the math is because, again, you know, I'm not telling anybody, I'm not coming up with any new ideas here. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, I'm saying that we have the math to explain all of this. We've had it for, you know, at least a hundred years in the case of a lot of quantum mechanics. And if we look at the, the derivative, it's been around for, uh, you got me hundreds of years, you know, since somebody came up with that. Yep. Um, but reality is more like, um, you know, there is an, there is absolutely real and there is absolutely not real but the problem is that we try to look at our universe where we exist in terms of only real and not real and what i'm saying is our universe exists somewhere in between those two hmm. and if you look at quantum science and quantum mechanics that's what they show us that this universe exists in somewhere between uh completely real and completely not real and we actually have different mathematical measurements and, and concepts that clearly define this. And in, in some cases, even it's it's been quantified for a hundred years now, and we're just now looking at it the right way. So this is a little bit of a of a Schrodinger Schrodinger's cat situation. Right. Uh, also, a little bit of a we have developed all of our uh, mathematical equations to prove one side of a narrative mm -hmm. as opposed to looking at all sides of the narrative. Right. 
for I don't know, me, it makes makes me think of the Fibonacci sequence too. You know, it's like there's that we just it's just this universal piece of math right it's just yeah. right if if you want to look at it real simply there's real and not real but our universe exists in varying degrees in between there and um if you know someone's like well that's a neat idea jim but uh, you know, it's not really real. Well, I would point to the idea of a mathematical function with a, an, a lower limit of zero and an upper limit of one. And where we exist is in, in between that function. You know, mm. different parts of our universe are going to exist at different places closer to the upper or lower limit of that function. And, you know, you c- the same person can experience being more real or less real depending on different physical experiences that they have i'm just telling you right now this already makes me want to have you write an annotated version of this book because i would read every annotation in there man (laughs) because i'm already like all the stuff that i've already read like just hearing you speak i'm like oh Oh, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I was going to say two things. One is every time I read uh, something in the book that really just blew me away, the first thought I had is, wow, this is an amazing story. And then the second thought that I had was, but someone lived this life. Right. Um, yeah. Right. And so that's it, it almost takes it to a whole different level. It's it's um, funny because it reminds me, and we just did an episode on uh, the Shaver mystery, which talks about Richard Shaver and the ultra terrestrials, the hollow earth and all that stuff. And there's a lot of similarities in a lot of ways, you know, because he was being told something of another life, not of his life, but just that. And there was a lot of math and a lot of things that existed in that, that you got to go, man, well, this was legit. You know, Stefan, we we didn't talk about it when we did the Shaver episode, but one of the things that I've been kicking around is maybe maybe Shaver was remembering a past life. Well, I mean, the title I remember Lemuria, even though Palmer yeah. made that up, but yeah, it's yeah, it's but, possible. Yeah, still, we don't know who um, he heard it from. So. Right, exactly. And then the other thing that I wanted to say is, um, you know, we talked a little bit a, a while ago about the idea of a, of a quarantine planet, which is really just that planet that rebelled. Um, and so, it, you know, you, you said, Jim, that, you know, it was rebelled to be given the opportunity to learn and decide for ourselves, uh, uh how we wanted to live. And then I take that and, and I compare that to the ramp up that we have now of, um, uh, contact from what, what some would dub the galactic family, right? So these are the ramp up of, of UFO and UAP sightings and contacts and that sort of thing. And so I'm just wondering if if we are on the cusp of being offered to rejoin um, that that family That's to, that to secret space program talks a lot about. For yeah. Sure. So just um, I, I think um, and and again this is this is jumping way ahead. This is like book five, uh, <laughs> book four hundred and twenty two. <laughs> yeah. It's a five book series and this would be like a big, big part of, of book five. Um, I, I think the human race has kind of undergone and I'm going to call it an abnormal evolution. Okay. <clears throat> we didn't get to go through the normal, um, you know, the steps that most people do. And 
One idea that uh, some people say why this has happened is what we were talking about, about before, like the whole ancient alien thing. Mm-hmm. Or you could just say that um, humans got too smart for their own good. <laughs> and, uh, I agree with that. We become very good at finding um, crutches um, to compensate for our weaknesses. Yes. Rather than um, letting us go through the natural process of, of growing. Um, God, that makes me think of the village that M Night Shyamalan movie, where that you yeah. know it's like they had no idea that this world existed out there because their parents chose not to tell them and kept them isolated. Yeah, and God, how much have we done that in our ancestry? You know, that's the yeah. <laughs> things I think about. <clears throat> well, I, yeah, I, I agree with you. We we are kind of at that point, but um, we kind of have a very unusual situation. Um, because humans and the earth have gone through a lot, a lot of unusual things going on here. And, right. Uh, it's a pretty complicated situation. So, yep. um, and then I just real quick, I wanted to ask, and you, we started talking about this just a few minutes ago and I wanted to take an opportunity to be clear. So you talk about the, the seven, um, layers of of the astral plane that are above the earth mm-hmm. and i know in the, i know in the book uh the main character uh y- yourself <laughs> um is uh starting starting their journey through those layers uh right. the way i the way i take it um but i think you talk you talk a little bit about how um for us uh here on earth if 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 we are in the the final layer if you will um that when we pass on, we begin our journey outward uh, yeah. from Earth. But yet, you, you as a character, you are beginning your journey inward. Inward, yeah, yes, yeah. So it's very interesting. We almost get um, as as you will progress. I'm sure through through the through the retelling, uh, we will get glimpses of what those additional layers um, contain so yeah and um there's just uh, it's kind of strange in one way this human life that we're living is more complex than a lot of other places um but as far as space wise goes i've actually done the the math roughly the land if you take the land area of the earth and then compare it to the space, the three-dimensional space between the surface of the Earth and um, the the seven layers of the astral plane, of the Earth's astral body, if you will, go out to about where the moon is. And if you look at the volume mm-hmm. between the surface of the Earth and the moon, it's about, um, I'm sorry if I, I, I forgot this and I'm saying it wrong, I think it's about a quadrillion times more yeah volume between um the surface of the earth and the moon then there is surface area uh land surface on the earth right right there's just a lot more out there there's just a lot lot more out there (laughs) and that's just those i mean like you know that's just earth and its layers to the moon right right we're we're just a needle point (laughs) in the grand scheme of things right 
Um, I have a question for you um, about something that I wasn't able to find, but I'm curious about is the symbol on the book. Um, seems to me as a pagan and things like that, to me, it looks like a sigil um, of your name. I was able to kind of find your name in it as someone who works with sigils and stuff. And I was just curious if that was right. And if not, is there relevance to it? Like what is, what's with the symbol? The symbol is something that I made up on my own. Um, and it's kind of where I got it from was um, from mathematics. And um, in mathematics, if you look at the, um, there's a certain, there's some mathematical symbols that it's kind of similar to, but it's kind of just a stylized F um, for the word function. Okay. Function. And then I've got nice. the circle on the bottom represents a zero and the line up on top represents a one. I'm trying to find an easy way because, um, you know, people just kind of want to have one thing where they can just kind of focus on it or they can see it and they go, Oh, I, I know that's Jim's series of books. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, it's fascinating. Like I said, it, it to me looks like a sigil made up of the characters of your name, um, which is powerful already from my point of view. Yeah. And that gives this, everything um just an extra edge that you may not have realized but i love hearing what you saying it is gives it that extra edge because that's everything we've just been talking about which again right. makes up you so right and um like i was saying that um what, what i'm trying to get at here is um again the main point of this book is just that reality is a function uh, with a range from zero to one and we kind of live in between there yep. and then the the curve is just kind of like a stylized f and um really what does it mean nothing um it's just something that i <laughs> i made up um yeah, i love it <laughs> as a symbol that i'm going to put on the cover of every book and mm -hmm. i do see my name in there now that you mention it yep <laughs> um but it's just kind of something that i wanted to be able to um put on the cover of every book and you know obviously i wanted it to be something original um because again it's copyrighted because mm -hmm. it's on the cover of my book um so that people can kind of see that and they know yep this is a, a book in the series well mm -hmm. job well done because it very much stands out to me i mean yep. i can see it from across the room i immediately know your book is over there um and so cool Thank you. <laughs> it worked <laughs> Yeah, so I, I I would also just like to just echo, um, it it is a phenomenally written book. Um, I I I picked it up the f the first night to read it, um, and uh, I honestly my my kids came were like, "Are you done reading yet?" And I was like, "I'm the fifth chapter." And I was like, "I gotta keep going. I gotta know what's." And and honestly, you know, you left me. Um, at the end, you left me waiting. Like, when is book two coming? Because I need to know <laughs> what happens next. Um, yeah. And so, um, yeah, I mean, phenomenally written book. Um, it, it was so easy for me to understand um, and, sure. and, 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 and expound upon the concepts that yeah. you kind of lay out within it. And, and I get, I get that what you are, the, the story is just... Um, the nice wrapper, if you will, around your whole uh, reality argument of, you know, zero 
to one. You know, in fact, I think you mentioned you mentioned that probably three or four times throughout the book, that whole concept or idea of the zero to one. Um, so, yeah, I, I really, again, phenomenal book. Anybody uh, should pick it up and read it. And I, I hope that you make that you write all the rest of your of your of your um, next books as well, because uh, I really want to see where things are going. Mm-hmm. Terrific. Thank you. I'm going to need to see that Netflix series as well. <laughs> I did try to uh, keep a few things in mind because over the years I've read some incredible um, philosophy books. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I know that they sit on shelves in libraries and gather dust. Um, and one of the things that I tried to write with in mind is that um, people, more than anything, humans care about people and their relationships with other people. Mm -hmm. So the story, even though it's all true, um, because I know a lot of people are going to say that's not true. And I'll say it doesn't matter. It is true, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't matter if you believe it or not. Um, Because really, I would have just originally, I just started writing down a book of, of these really cool ideas. And then I thought, no one's really going to care because people care, care about people yeah. and their relationships with other people. So I tried to, and I, I knew I had this incredible story here. So I tried to weave this story together with these ideas in a way that people would care hmm. and then want to read more. And the other thing, the third thing that I worked on with editing is I just wanted the book to be just the language to be really easy to read. I'm finding the the best compliment I'm getting is um, uh, of the 10 or 12 books I've sent out so far, everybody's read it and finished it. Yeah. Um, And people are saying they can finish it um, in in a few hours, really, if they just sit down and and read through it. And, and that's uh, to me is the best compliment I can get. Um, I'm really happy that people are reading it and they're interested and the ideas are, are, are hitting home with them and and they're understanding them so well like i said i've said this two or three times i mean you do you have a really great way of explaining very complex things in a very layman kind of way but still where it holds interest and it's not a boring layman kind of way like it's 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 fascinating thank you um so before we wrap up here because we are running out of time i just wanted to touch one last bit which was the title the way of existence Mm -hmm. and kind of how that came to you and and what that was all about i am going to talk a lot more about that in the second book um (laughs) but basically the idea is that um it's kind of going back to the William Shakespeare kind of thing. Um, it's to be or, or not to be. So we've got this um, this range of existence between zero and one, between existing and not existing. And where we are now is we're kind of somewhere in the middle. And remember I said we're quarantined as a freedom. Um, I think the world all around us kind of shows us um, what the universe is like. It's like giving us a preview okay Mm -hmm. of what existing for forever in this you know this uh universe and and beyond would be like and it's kind of like that's what the way of existence is Mm -hmm. the universe has a way that it exists and um in order to for us to go on and exist forever 
we have to exist in harmony with that way. We don't have complete freedom in that um, we can just do whatever we want, however we want. We have to learn how to be in harmony with the universe. And that's something that we is a very long journey. Uh, there's a lot to learn. And that's pretty much what it's about. Um, but eventually, and I talk about this in the first book too, we eventually make the choice to either go to the one, the upper limit and exist forever. Um, and I, I want to stress, I say exist forever, not live forever in, in this body. Um, and again, I'll talk more about that in future books. Or if we don't like the, this, if we look around and we, we don't like this, then we don't have to exist forever. But then the only other alternative is to then go to that not existing at all. And um, that's where the way of existence comes from, is I'm trying to help people not teach them what the way of existence is. That would be far too big, you know, for, for yeah. anybody to understand or me to understand. But just kind of tell people, hey, you have this choice to make because most people don't realize that they do. And um, I, wa I want to help people get started on that journey of learning. Yeah. And that's what I call it. I call it learning about the way of existence. You know, one of the one of the things that the concepts that I've really been uh, thinking about and Stefan, you and I have talked about a little bit about it in the past is this idea that you are um we are we are stuck in almost like a cycle of um a physical reincarnation uh where we where we are continuing to come back in the same yes. pl in the same plane of existence until we are able to grow our minds our soul our spirit whatever you want to call it to the point where we can break out of that cycle and move yeah. And move to the next layer of existence. Yeah, and I would then, agree with that completely. Thanks. And then so on and so forth until we grow to the point that we can just be. Yeah, I agree with that completely. Yep. I mean, that's almost that idea of nirvana. <laughs> yeah. And, and and such like that. Um, but Jim, thank you so much, uh, Jim Schmidt. The way of existence. Where can they find out some more information on you, as well as pick up a copy of this book? We we want to make sure everyone has an opportunity to grab a physical copy of this book because that's the only way, and it's worth it. <laughs> so where can we find all that? Well, I, I set up my own website, um, and right now, um, it's the only place you can uh, get a copy of the book. And the website is. Um, I kind of uh, did an acronym here so you didn't have to type the whole thing out. TWOEbooks.com. That's for the way of existence. So it's TWOEbooks.com. And you can order a, a copy of the book there. And um, like I said, I'm not doing ebooks right now because I hope that people will read this book and when they're done with it, we'll pass it on to someone else who's interested and all these books are printed on acid-free paper. Awesome. And um, if you take care of them, they will be around long after I'm gone, which again, going back to that, that reading that I had, I was supposed to write these books and leave yep. them behind. So um, right now I'm just, I have shipping set up for the U S and Canada. I've for some strange reason had more interest in Canada than I have in the U S so far. That, that, we have a lot of fans in Canada and yeah. the UK randomly okay. too. So don't, <laughs> we've, um, we've, we love them. 
Uh, at my day job, I actually have been doing um, professional um, B2B and retail sales for about 20 years. And I have experienced shipping all over the world. Um, if someone is in another country and they would like to order a copy of the book, um, I will ship you a physical copy of the book. I'm not sure how much it's going to cost. Um, I know to send to a lot of countries, it's running the equivalent of about 25 US dollars. Yeah, that's what I've been seeing with things is around 25, 30 dollars mm -hmm. uh, for most countries. And um, I would ask people to, to please be understanding of that. Um, at some point in the future, I may um, do some ebooks to get the message out further, but the idea is to get a lot of these paper copies mm -hmm. out into the world mm -hmm. so they can be passed from person to person to person um, long after I'm gone. And I know I'm not going to make as much money because one person could buy it and pass it to 10 other people who would have bought my ebook. That's okay. I don't care about that. Mm -hmm. So I ask for people's understanding and thank them for their patience. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Josh, will we be able to put a link on that on our website as well? We usually do that with authors. Right? Yep, we okay. will. Yep. And so if uh, if you're having any trouble uh, getting to that, you can always go to our website onto our, I believe it's our authors page or guest page. And guest you'll be able page. to link that yep. there as well under Jim Schmidt. But Jim, again, thank you so much. Yep. I, I, We are so looking forward to the rest of these books. We cannot wait when you get that second book out. Please holler at us. We would love to have you on again and help you push it. And we'll be pushing this book for you because it's it's just remarkable. Yeah. Thank you. And I definitely would love to be back. Thank you very much. Oh, yeah. We can talk yep. math and philosophy all day, man. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Great. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Wow. Thank you, Jim, so much. Make sure to get a copy of his book. Uh, we highly recommend it. It's a fascinating read. You know, he's got some more coming down the line. Um, get out there. Check that out again. Thank you, Jim, so much yeah. for taking time to join us today on Fearscape, man. We appreciate yeah, it. Great. Yeah. Great story, man. And uh, speaking of stories, um, I have a great listener story. Uh, this week comes from a listener, a blanket hugger, as we speak, uh, <laughs> named Larry from New England. So uh, I'm going to be portraying Larry. Um, like I said, I'm just digging it, man. So uh, we're going we're gonna to go ahead and read uh, Larry's listener story. So give it a listen. Hi, guys. My name is Larry and I live in New England. I've been having a weird experience. About three weeks ago, I bought a kitten. And not long after, something odd started happening. Well, this cat happens to be in my room at night, and the lights are out. And it feels exactly as though a cat is walking on my bed, and I just assumed that the cat got onto my bed until I look up and uh, switch the light on, and, well, there's nothing there. One time I was in bed, I looked up, and I saw my cat right on the duvet. I could see her head and ears silhouetted against the window behind and went to stroke her back, but was shocked when my hand went right through her and hit my bed. So I quickly switched the light on and realized there was literally nothing there. A few times I've been convinced I've seen my cat, but there's been nothing. This coupled with the sensation of her walking around on my bed when she's either not in my room at all or asleep on my chair across the room when it's happened. This is a little unnerving and quite frankly, I don't really like it. 
The disturbance started about a week and a half after picking her up, but it's been more noticeable now, and I'm reluctant to go to bed and put my lights out because of it. I know what sleep paralysis is and hypnagogia and all of that kind of stuff, but I've been wide awake when I've felt these sensations of a cat or something walking on my bed. I've never owned a cat or a dog that's died recently apart from like 30 plus years ago when I was a kid. And this is essentially the first pet I've had in my flat in the 11 years I've lived here. I rarely post to your guys' group as I only really want to post if something significant uh, has happened. And well, guess what? It seems like I have an issue. Hmm. So, I, so I'm going to tell you right now, ghost cats are huge. You've heard Santosh and I talk yep. about it. We had a shit ton of ghost cats at our Fourth Street apartment in Old Louisville. Um, they are always attracted by other cats because cats are pack animals. Yep. Um, it, you know, and, and if it didn't happen until the kitten got there, it could be what if this was the mama cat that maybe passed away? Yeah, so I've got a ghost cat um, <clears throat> in addition to my two actual cats. And... Uh, Something that I've been toying with lately is um, felines have always been said to have nine lives, right? Right, right. So what if it's uh, literal? What if like when 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 your cat physically dies, its energy co- comes back as another cat? Mm, so nine almost times. like reincarnation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but they only get nine. They only, they get, only nine. get nine. And then they but, become a Buddha. Right. But I mean, um, but what if that was the case? And your ghost cat is actually its previous life. Force. Right. Oh, that's interesting. That's a really kind of neat thought. So, but needless to say, Larry, the point of all of this is to tell you this is not a new thing. Ghost cats no. are a and it's very be- common thing. More than ghost yeah. dogs. You rarely hear about ghost dogs. Ghost dogs are usually they tend to be with the owner that also died. Like that's that a lot of times when I hear stories about ghost dogs, they're with the owner that had also died, but ghost cats, they do their own thing, man. I mean, ours used to rub up against our legs and we'd look down to see our cats there. Nothing. So. Yeah. I am. And and also nothing to be afraid about because yeah, they're not, they're just there to chill. (laughs) And you know, cats aren't going to bother you, <laughs> so no. they want to be by themselves. So Yeah, better a ghost cat than one that's going to trip you while you're walking down the stairs. Right, so, exactly. At least your leg's going to go right through them. Um, but yeah, Larry, don't even worry about that. I mean, unless you think it's something else, I mean, you know, then of course, you know, look into it deeper. But it sounds to me that you're legit seeing just another cat. Or hell, maybe it's your cat astral projecting its energy out. I mean, that's yeah. something possible, too. If any animal could do it, it'd be a damn cat. Yep. So they are, I mean, remember the Egyptians thought they were the most right. They were magical the, creature on the planet. So they, they could exist in both this world and the underworld. And the underworld, absolutely. So, um, yeah, we're with you, Larry. Don't even worry about that. We 100% believe you. And unless something crazy happens, I say live it up, man, and just leave some treats out and have a good time. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's get out of here. Um, just a reminder, everybody. Christmas is coming up and Josh would really, really like people to rate and review our show wherever you can rate and review it. Please do that. Yep. And, uh, you know, just camper. Also, if you follow us on Facebook, review us on Facebook, that helps too. Yes, our page is reviewable, so go ahead and review us there. Um, Also, you know, check us out, all of our stuff, fearscapepodcast.com. 
you know, you can get shirts from the store. You can do all that jazzy, happy goodness. Also check out Fearscape Media, where is the home of the Fearscape Media Network, fearscapemedia.com, where you can check out all the podcasts we got going on. We've got a lot. The network is jamming. Join our Facebook fan group page, all that stuff. That's all I'm going to leave you with because I want to go home. I want to go okay. home. Josh, you want to go home? I want to go home. I, even though we're at our home, at I home, still want to go home. Yeah, I want to exactly. eat. I want to eat food. Uh, but no, thank you guys so much. We love you guys so, so much. And uh, this has been Stefan. And I'll catch you on the flip side. This has been Josh. The truth is out there. And remember, folks, hold those blankets extra tight because things tend to get spooky when you're listening to Fearscape. Good night, everybody. Good night. I'm so glad you were able to join us for that horrifying discussion. I hope they didn't frighten you too much. (laughs) Tune in next week for even more research into the nightmarish and haunting creeps and spooks that we tell ourselves don't exist, but we know they do. Make sure you have your blankets that you hold them extra tight. Next time on Fearscape. Ha 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 